Asia Pacific Reports with Sanusha Naidu. Sanusha, good morning and welcome. Uh, good morning. How are you? I'm good. And yourself? I'm not bad. Thanks. All right. So we start off with India. Farmers are doubling down in the what they call the fight for the next generation, even as police allegedly fire pellet guns on protesters. Yeah. So in the week, this became quite a, a rowdy affair, if not quite a detrimental affair, where police had um, fired pellet bullets onto protesting farmers that were coming uh, to the capital, New Delhi, on the Harenia Bridge. And, you know, this, these protests are not necessarily just see, to be seen as one-off protests, etc. These protests extend to 2020, where farmers and farmer groups in India have been demanding for better policy, better legislation, and more kind of engagement around uh, getting the Indian government to provide certain relief in terms of uh, minimum subsidies, um, price uh, uh, a price uh, in terms of the crops because at the moment I think the Indian government just gives uh, buys rice and, and wheat and so there are other crops that they want uh, some kind of price stability on and also in terms of buyback from the state and of course there's also challenges around how for example India's um, membership of the WTO, the World Trade Organization affects um, the production of, 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 of agricultural products in India by international standards, laws, etc. And it also acts as a, as a kind of uh, disruptor to that production. But what is really uh, critical is these pellet bullets that have been fired on protesters coming into the city. Uh, human rights groups have now called upon or written rather to the Supreme Court of India asking the Supreme Court to intervene to stop the use of pellet guns. People have had serious eye injuries, serious um, uh, uh, wounds to their body. Our doctors in hospitals are reporting that uh, groups of protesters are coming in with um, different types of, of, um, of wounds as a result of these pellet uh, bullets that have been fired. And I think we've got to contextualize that this group, the farmers in India, make up a very important constituency for the BJP party in terms of uh, a voting base. And it is the heartline and the heart uh, a, a, a blood of the, of the Indian economy. I mean, you have between 90 million to 150 million farmers in the country, and part of their protest is also about ensuring that their livelihoods are, uh, are entrenched or are consolidated and sustained over the next generation of farmers that are going to come into the um, economy. So this is going to this is a big thing, I think, for the BJP party, for Pre- Prime Minister Modi, because farmers uh, constitute an important voting bloc, but they also can actually become quite disruptive to that. So I think you know what 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 you're seeing in India, particularly around these ongoing uh, protests but protests that haven't been just happening in a in a vacuum it's, it goes back to 2020 when these demands were put on the table and government has not necessarily uh, according to farmer associations and and, and 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 other kinds of leaders in 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 terms of the protest saying that government has not necessarily responded positively to these um, demands or to the to the promises that were made. So I think that's a watching brief and we'll have to basically see how this plays out as well if it impacts on the election, a forthcoming election um, later in the year for India.
Now, Indonesia's 2024 elections, uh, Anis Janjar is calling for a probe after Prabowo's win and, and Parliament uh, is asked to hold an investigation. Yeah, so according to the, the, the unofficial results is that the presidential candidate Prabowo, who has now won the election according to unofficial results at 58%, has been kind of been a challenge, or not a challenge, but the, the, the two contenders um, that were contending the presidential candidacy have now raised concerns that there's been voter intimidation, there's been irregularities carried out, um, and of course that, in a sense, that, that, that the parliament must investigate, or rather have a probe, a hearing into these um, allegations. But nothing is cast in stone because observer missions have said that the election had carried out freely, fairly. There was no kind of incident of what these two candidates are claiming. Uh, one candidate got 25% and the other candidate got 17%. But of course, in Indonesian politics as well, the official results will come out in, in March. But what's interesting is that this is the first round. And normally the first round is an indication of where the electoral trajectory is going. And given the fact that probable has warned at twenty at fifty eight percent, if there is to trigger a second and third round, it has to be a very narrowly margined um, election result. So I think this is something that will be ongoing, and whether or not the um, the two candidates who are contesting this first round of, of unofficial election results, presidential election results, are going to continue with their p- positioning and their claims that this has been. Uh, and not a fair process that there's been intimidation, the lines have been blurred and so forth. And I think this is becoming powerful elections in most countries where um, the use of the of, 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 of these kinds of grievances or, or allegations become part of when you want to actually pr- uh, continue to project whether the election was fair and fair. So I think it's, again, another one of those that will have to be looked at uh, in terms of the fact that um, Indonesia is a big country. Um, It has a very important geostrategic relevance and and geopolitical uh, relevance in in terms of its positioning. And of course, you know, it's it, it comes in a in, at a time where Southeast Asian politics and the tensions around China and U.S. and uh, the South China Seas and all of that becomes critical and trade dynamics. So I think the stability of Indonesia is critical as well. Now, for some Sri Lankan women, domestic violence is the cost of climate change. This is a very, very... Um, important, I think, story that we don't give enough attention to, not just in Sri Lanka, but I think across the world, where women are the sole bearers of livelihoods in their in, in their households, particularly as farmers, as well as um, uh, 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 being part of um, the agricultural sector. So what's what's happened in Sri Lanka is that as climate change has deepened and has become more and more disruptive to weather patterns and to agricultural production, particularly small holdings and small farming uh, communities. And where women are the key um, um, backbone of that economy, that agricultural economy for the household level, you're seeing a rise in domestic violence. And I think that some people will, it's an understudied 
uh, area. It is something that we don't give enough attention to in terms of how gender-based violence can be triggered by uh, issues related to uh, things like climate change because we don't see the correlation. And I think this is something that has to be looked at outside of the context of, of Sri Lanka because the more and more frustrated uh, male counterparts get, partners get in, in the household, they feel that it's the responsibility of women to put food on the table and to be, bring in an income in terms of the uh, agricultural processes and, 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 and farming. And of course, that ends up in domestic violence. And, and, and in, some, in some ways, in some contexts, it, it ends up in severe domestic abuse. Uh, and I'm talking physical abuse as well as emotional abuse. And this, I think, is something that is being triggered because now there's not enough income in the household. Uh, and we have to look at it, look at this in the context of others, other societies as well. So I think this is something that we cannot ignore because climate change is not is just not about the macro economy. It's also about the subsistence economy and it's about the micro economy and the household economy. And if it's triggering these kinds of abuses, then we have to be careful in just assuming that climate change can be dealt with either at the conference of the parties or can be dealt with in other ways because we're now beginning to see the impact it's having on the social aspect of society, but also on the social and gender-based relations within a household. Sanusa, as always, thank you so much for your time and for doing the Asia-Pacific Report for us. We really appreciate it. You're welcome and take care. Have a great week. Go on. You too.